kind of want to give you an update on what is happening that you can be a part of. Yeah, hey, we're so excited. If you have not been able to either see or drive by or even possibly be a part of the Shepherd's House in the past, uh, it's this building behind us. And it is such a cool environment because uh, it's right down here in downtown Fort Wayne, I, in the middle of the city. I didn't realize until I got down here how big this place was, and it's, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And, it, yeah. and the work they do is incredible. Yep. Uh, homeless veterans, that some of them are addicted to alcohol and drugs, and yeah. they uh, help them get back on their feet and rehabilitate them and yeah. put them into society. It's amazing, amazing uh, Christian ministry. Yeah, and one of the things that I've been thinking about, especially during this whole process in our campaign is, um, veterans are often those individuals, especially as they get older, that they're often forgot about. And so I love organizations like this with the Shepherd's House, that they're able to walk with people who are struggling in different areas of life. Yeah, and, and I think it's so cool for us to just to be able to give back. As we talk about generosity, what an amazing opportunity we have to all come together. Yeah. And um, you guys are doing great. There's one thing that we wanted to share. Absolutely. And the thing about this is we said from the very beginning, it wasn't about a number. You right. know, we had an idea. You had an idea. <laughs> I had an idea. In my I didn't head. believe you, <laughs> but we're very close to his number. Anyway, we wanted to say it's 100% participation. That was the yep. biggest thing on our heart is that if we can get together and it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't have to be a big amount. There have been big amounts given. There have been small amounts given. Right. But the thing about it is if we can all band together, if we can all do this thing together, 100% of our church, we can make a huge difference. And then yeah. you're part of it. Yeah. So there's still time and we want you to be part of it. We yeah. want something for you. We don't want something from you because yeah. we're gonna celebrate this thing together. So we wanna just invite you to prayerfully consider being a part of that 100% community bought in to help us, uh, to help us walk with the Shepherd's House. Absolutely, and they don't know it's coming. And uh, we can't wait. Yeah. Next week, we're going to deliver them a, a big check and all the, these items that we've donated. Yeah. And you get to be a part of that. It's going to be amazing. All right. Hey, good morning, Crossbridge. How are we feeling today? Good, good. We're a little bit awake. That's good. Well, hey, if this is your first time visiting, my name is Jordan, and I am our online pastor and have the privilege of being able to uh, just run all of our social media accounts and keep us connected throughout the week. And then also one of our teaching pastors here. And today we are wrapping up our three-week campaign and series called Be Rich. And we hope that that is not the first time that you have heard that, unless you are visiting with us today, uh, because this is something we've been so excited about and have been promoting and have been praying about and have been celebrating, not just for the last two weeks, but for the last six months uh, when we decided that we were going to participate in our first ever Be Rich campaign. And this is a campaign that is completely new to Crossbridge because yes, we are raising a ton of money only to give all of it away. And how exciting is it that we get to be a community, that we are focusing on generosity and celebrating one another's gifts as we bless people who are outside of our building. And so this year for our first ever Be Rich campaign, we have decided to partner with the Shepherd's House in downtown Fort Wayne, an incredible organization that walks with veterans who are struggling in life to transition back to society. And this, uh, this organization, the Shepherd's House, has an over 80% success rate uh, where they help people navigate through their addictions, through their mental illness, their PTSD, uh, their family struggles, and helps them uh, find a way back into society in a healthy and successful way. And friends, let me tell you, uh, we filmed that video a couple days ago. Uh, it is no longer relevant. We're crushing everything that we could ever have imagined as a goal 
And that is so cool and inspiring. And really our main, main goal as a church was to have 100% participation. 100% participation. And right now uh, we're at about 68 families who have given, which is incredible. So incredible. We do have about 160 families here at Crossbridge uh, that, that attend at least once a month. And so with the amount that we've already raised, which we're not going to share into our worship night tonight, but just knowing what we've already raised and then thinking if we added 100 more families who participated in this, it would blow the shepherd's house away. And they have no idea it's even coming. And it's going to be so cool for us to be able to say, you know what? What does it look like for us to be a generous church? To not only sacrifice towards our general fund and our staff salaries and our ministries that we offer here at Crossbridge, but to say that there is something bigger going on outside of our own immediate connection. To step through what we can see to bless others who we might not have an immediate impact on one-on-one, but we're able to bless them through the means of donations. Our Bridge Kids has also been uh, raising non, uh, non-monetary uh, things and, and toiletries and um, different clothing items and bedding items and house items. It's been incredible. Uh, I don't know the total after today, but as of last week, they'd already come up with 140 items that we're going to be donating. So not only are we raising an insane amount of money that we're able to bless them with, but they're also going to probably have over 200 items um, for their ministry, for their organization. And it is so cool for us to be the church. But 100% participation is what we're looking for. And like I taught on last week, uh, Paul, when he's walking through generosity in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking to the Corinthian church, he's saying, friends, I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you to do this. But I'm expecting. Because I want to see your love come through in your generosity. And so friends, we're still pushing for 100%. We're still pushing uh, for families to give, for families to sacrifice, for singles to sacrifice, for friends to sacrifice, for us to generously give. And here's the thing. I don't know who is individually give, given and who is not. I don't have access to our funds. Um, we only have one person on staff who, who tracks that. Our executive pastor, Michael, does. And uh, he, he has been giving us some updates throughout the week just of, uh, like I said, families that have given, and uh, like the, the amount, the number, um, and uh, just been blown away by that. But he did share with me a few stories uh, that I wanted to share today because I want to give you just this idea of how people are sacrificing. Not who is, but how they are sacrificing. And, and these stories are just so encouraging to me. Uh, last week, we had uh, someone right after church was done go on to our app and donate $5. And you might be thinking, okay, like the pastor's going up there to say a really small amount, so I can, no, like this is, I'm so excited about this because that person said, you know what, today I'm giving up my Starbucks. And that's a sacrifice. Trust me, that is a sacrifice <laughs> if we all know a sacrifice when we see one. And then we had another family right after first service go on and donate $25. And they said, you know what? I'm giving up Chipotle today. For those of you who know me, that's a sacrifice. (laughs) Then we had a family this week that said, you know what? I'm giving $5,000. They looked at their savings and they said, you know what? I'm sacrificing that amount. And friends, 
All of those amounts are equally exciting and get me jacked. And I was so thrilled when I was given the opportunity to wrap up our series today. Because I knew that our church was going to get behind this. Because I've seen your generosity. And, and friends, I just want to thank you. I'm, when we are able to do justice work, to do Jesus work, to do generous work as a church, like we are called to do, it's the best feeling in the world. And so if you have not given, I want to encourage you, be a part of the 100%. Whether it's $1, $5, $50, $5,000. Whether it's providing clothing items, toiletry items, getting your kids involved and excited. There's something special that happens when you sacrifice for the kingdom of God. So let's be rich in our generosity, just like Paul talks about in his letter to Timothy. And so today what we're going to be doing as we wrap up this series and then celebrating tonight uh, as, a, as a community through worship and praising, uh, I really just want to invite you to allow God to speak to you throughout the rest of the day. The giving will close at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, and so uh, you have until then. But really, I just want you during this time to say, you know what, God? Speak to me. Speak to me. 100% participation. Well, today's title for the message is My Brother's Keeper. My Brother's Keeper. We're going to go back to one of the first stories in all of Scripture, Genesis chapter 4. And this is one of my uh, favorite stories that I've read this week in the Bible. Um, and I love so much uh, of what we learn from a very tragic experience that takes on very early. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, we're only going to be there for two verses. We're actually going to spend a lot of time in Scripture today. We might go a few minutes over. That's what happens when Brad lets me speak on generosity and I'm amped up on no caffeine. So it's going to be great, okay? Uh, but Genesis chapter 4, I just want to give you some context. We're only going to read two verses from this chapter. Then we're going to jump to Luke and then Matthew to wrap up today. But this, where we're going to pick up in verses 9 and 10, something really tragic happens. See, this is very early on. Adam and Eve had just been casted outside of the garden. And then they end up having kids, Cain and Abel. And they're presented with an opportunity where Abel provides his best offering to God. He provides his first fruits, his best fruits to God. He says, I'm sacrificing this to you. Cain provides his second-hand offering to God. And God's disappointed in his offering because it's not his best. And so Cain, in his jealousy, in his bitterness, in his frustration, goes out and he murders his brother Abel. And that's where we pick up this story in Genesis chapter 4. If you want to turn with me there, we'll also be on the screen. I'll be reading from the NIV. Genesis chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Cain, Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, Cain replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Two verses. I want to go back and I want to reread that. 
Okay, I don't want us to miss what we can learn from these two verses. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Let's pray. Holy Father, Holy One, Holy God, you are so good. And you're in control of our lives. You're in control of our wealth. You're in control of our generosity. You're in control of our personality, how you wired us, how you made us. And you said through the word of God that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are made in your image. And so God, I pray that we learn from your word today. Speak through me. Give me the words to say and soften the hearts of our community to receive them. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Two words. That word keeper that we see in Genesis chapter 4 verse 9 is the word in the original text, shamer. Shamer. And I actually wanted to walk through because there's a, a really cool um, just definition for this. It's used in so many different ways in the, throughout all of Scripture in the Old Testament. Uh, but here's just a couple of words. When, when Cain responds to God and he says, am I my brother's keeper? That word keeper means multiple different things. It means to keep, to guard, to watch over, to protect, to save the life of, to watch for, to wait for, to observe, to treasure up in memory, to celebrate, to keep, preserve, protect. It's this really powerful word and it has multiple different meanings. But there's three questions that I want to walk through for the remainder of the message today that we actually can take from those two verses. Three questions that when applied to our lives and our current situation that we can learn from this really tragic experience. When applied, it can change our world. Here are the three questions. I want to put them on the screen and we're going to walk through each one. The first one will be where God asks Cain, where is your brother? Second question is Cain's response. Am I my brother's keeper, my brother's shamer, my brother's protector? And then the last question that God asks in pain and grief, but also in uh, righteousness and in anger and frustration and hurt, what have you done? And these three questions are going to wrap up our series today. And I want to directly take them from Genesis chapter 4 and then challenge our community to process those three questions in our own lives. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And if so, then what have we done? First question that God asks Cain after finding the tragedy has occurred. Where is your brother? I want us to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to jump all the way over from Genesis all the way to the New Testament now. Third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10. And what we have happened here as we're answering this question, where is your brother? Jesus is being approached by an expert in the law. And this was a very common practice where experts or Pharisees, or Sadducees, or different religious leaders of the Jewish sect, they would debate one another. They would challenge one another. They would have questions trying to stump one another 
as they were iron sharpening iron, pushing one another to grow in knowledge, but then also there was a pride element for some of it, for some of us, as always, as we're trying to one-up the other person. And so a religious leader, an expert in the law, an expert in the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so an expert in the law approaches Jesus and asks a similar question in response to something that Jesus says. When we see Cain asking, or when we see God asking Cain, where is your brother? Often for some of us, I would say many of us, our response then would be, well, who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who is my friend? Who is my stranger? Who is my neighbor? And so Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And this was such a, an, important, um, an important response And I think we can learn so much just from how Jesus responds, okay? What's written in the text? How do you read it? Whenever, and this is something we've tried to practice as a staff, is whenever we are approached with different questions about the word of God or disagreements and how we interpret things, it's important for us as humans, as humans with sinful desires— even if it's unintentional, to respond like Jesus. Well, please, tell me what you mean by that. Or how do you read this verse? How do you read this scripture? And that's what Jesus says. So he asks the man, how have you read it? Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, again, back to that question. And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus shared a story like he so often did. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, And went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, the Samaritan said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one 
who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Where is your brother? Where is your sister? Where is your neighbor? And this story is so powerful. And if we don't understand the context, we miss the power behind it. A Jewish leader approaches a Jewish teacher and asks, how do I receive eternal life? Jesus responds, how do you read the scriptures? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, you are correct. Now go and do. And the man says, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus shares this story. Shares this story of a, of a, a leader of the religious, the Jewish sect, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The first two people would have had a good relationship with the Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead. However, they didn't approach him because of the scriptures that talk about not approaching a dead body or you have to enter into a cleansing period. The Levitical law found in Leviticus that Moses, Moses says there's a seven-day cleansing period if you approach, if you touch, if you are around illness, around this. So they were probably on their way to the temple to worship, and that would have been postponed had they approached the, Samar uh, approached the Jew who was injured. The third person, the Samaritan, however, would have had a, an incredibly awful relationship with the Samaritan. Samaritan and the Jews. Think of it in modern context today. It's as if someone from Russia was injured and a Ukrainian were to help them. Okay, there are these neighbors from a country standpoint where they're at odds with one another. That's what takes place in this story here. Where is your brother? So many of us, when we think of that, we think family member. Um, and, and that's relevant. But then Jesus expands that of brother, of sister, of neighbor, of stranger to enemy. He says, hey, your neighbor is also the person that you are at war with and at odds with. Question number two. So then, am I my brother's keeper? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter three. Uh, we're gonna be in verses seven through 14. This is a question that I have processed so much the last few years. So much the last few years. Am I my brother's keeper? And friends, I just wanna tell you the answer right off the bat here at Crossbridge, we shout, yes. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You are your neighbor's keeper. You are your stranger's keeper. You are your enemy's keeper. It is so important for us to understand that we are called to protect, to save, to love, to live for, to, to die for, to strive for because we live for God. Our enemy, our neighbor, our brother, our sister, our stranger. Am I my brother's keeper? Turn with me to John, uh, Luke chapter three, verses seven through 14. This is 
uh, another passage to hit the point home. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, and he is currently baptizing people. And he's asked this question. Turn with me here to Scripture. Here we go. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Very different approach than what Jesus just took. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10, so they asked John, what should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And this is so wild. Tax collectors were even more evil than they are today. Okay? They were people who would intentionally go out and rob from the poor. Take more than what they were called to. They would give then their ration to Caesar, to their Roman ruler, to their Jewish leaders. And then they would pocket the change. And so society hated tax collectors. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect more than you are required to, John said. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So many different responses, different people are approaching John and they're like, we want to receive this kingdom of God. We want to receive eternal life. We want to receive this blessing, John, that you are preaching about, that you are talking about. Am I my brother's keeper? Friends, the answer is yes. If so, then what? If you have two shirts, give one. If you have money, give some. If you're extorting people, stop that and put people first. It's such a powerful command that we see time and time again. Biblical justice is so powerful when we are stepping through not only our privilege, but also our pride and saying, you know what? Others first. Others first. And here's the reality, friends. It's not about the amount. It's not about how much you sacrifice. It's about the intention. It's about the heart. And that's what we're going to answer here. This last question for today to wrap us up. So then friends, what have you done? If you call Crossbridge home, what have I done? If I call God my father, how am I serving him? Last question. What have you done? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Give me verse 34, I believe. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is approached. He's approaching, he's talking, and he's walking uh, in conversation with these different individuals as they're um, asking him, again, similar questions. How do, I, how do I be good? How do I serve you? How do I live for you? How do I love you? How do I receive eternal life? 
How do I even just, just make you proud, Father? And Jesus shares this, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry, Jesus says, and friends, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and then invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Verse 40, this verse really hits home with me. The king will reply, truly I tell you. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, friends, you did for me. God asks Cain, where is your brother? Cain responds, am I my brother's keeper? And here's, here's just something that I love, why I love these verses is because I believe then God spends the rest of this side of eternity and the rest of the Bible answering that question, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And so many of us would say, you know, if we knew Jesus was asking us for money, we'd give Jesus money. If we knew it was Jesus on the side of the street asking us for clothes, we, of course we'd give Jesus. I, I think everybody here would say that. Yes. But when it's a stranger, when it's a neighbor, even when it's a family member, we all got Thanksgiving coming up. You know what I'm talking about. The answer becomes much, much easier to, to, to step away from what God is calling us to do. And Jesus says, if you've seen a stranger, you've seen me. If you've seen a brother, you've seen me. If you've seen a sister, you've seen me. You might be thinking, well, how is that accurate? Well, again, like I was just sharing in my prayer earlier, God made humankind in his own image. We see that in Genesis. That language either comes from Genesis 1 or chapter 2. I can't remember exactly which chapter. And so every time that you see a human being, you're looking through the eyes of God's creation. And God's humanity creation is made in his image. But then Jesus takes this a step further, verse 41. And this is where it kind of just, it hurts. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and we did not help you? 
And then Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And that's, I mean, that, that's, that's heavy. That's heavy. That there's something that shows our relationship to God and the authenticity about our relationship to God, not just by our generosity, but how we look after others, how we love others, how we serve others, and how we put others first. And those aren't my words. Those are the words of Paul. Again, like he said last week, to connect all of this. I'm not commanding you. However, I am testing the accuracy, the validity, authenticity of your love by comparing it to your generosity. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Go back, read it, listen. The righteous receive eternal life. Righteous in God's eyes, made righteous through God's sacrifice, Jesus. Not by our own works. Again, We are made righteous by our generosity. We're only made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed on us on the cross for us so that we could receive eternal life. However, when our pride steps in, that often takes reign over our hearts. So friends, here's how I want to close today. 100%. For some of you, I recognize you are also in a financial situation where any amount of generosity is difficult. And I get that. And friends, I just want to validate that. I want to ask you then, trust God with a dollar. Trust God with a dollar. Some of you are in a tight budget. You're with, this, you're with the average American of where you spend 104% of your budget a month living off credit cards of debt. And I would not ask you to be bad stewards of your finances. But I also don't want you to be a st- bad steward of your faith. I want to encourage you to do both. And that's why throughout this entire series, we've said prayerfully consider what God is calling you to do. Too many of us want to just impulsively give or impulsively spend or impulsively save. If you remember a couple of months ago, I walked through an entire message about how detrimental that can be to your finances. Friends, we want to encourage you from now until two o'clock, (laughs) 34.95, to prayerfully consider being your brothers, your sisters, your strangers, your neighbor's keeper. Would you pray with me? Holy one, thank you for this community. Father, I'm so jacked by our generosity. I'm so excited by our church, by the community. And God, it's not ours. I I misspoke there. It's your church. This is your generosity. This is your building, your community, your following. And Lord, we just praise you for what you have called us to do. I pray that we would be rich in our generosity and be our brother's keeper. In your name I pray, amen.